Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Podcast. For more information, go to www.encounterccb.org. Now, I want to acknowledge uh, on the onset that women who experience unwanted pregnancies are under extreme pressure and confusion about what to do. And millions of women choose abortion in a moment of weakness and vulnerability. And, and then they have to live, many live a lifetime of regret for the decision that they made. So I hope that <clears throat> what we discussed today will help us better answer these questions and, and more importantly, prevent some from making uh, a devastating choice that they'll have to live with the regret. Christians and non-Christians alike, uh, for abortion is a, is a hard line in the sand conversation. It gets really politicized in our culture, and we're not going to touch that at all. Um, we, we know that, that this is a, uh, an issue that Christians should be concerned about. Um, Bill Van Setten is calling me on my <laughs> iPad. I don't know why that is. Hi, Bill. I hope you're tuning in. Um, but since, listen, th- this is certainly not an issue that, that we should care less about. We should care a lot about this because since it involves the loss of 1.3 million lives annually in the United States, and so I'm going to answer these questions from two uh, kind of standpoints. One, a scientific one, uh, which we typically don't do here. Uh, we're, we're typically more Bible people, and, 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 but we're going to, the majority of our answer will come from the Bible. But I want to start with science. Um, <clears throat> let's say that the expecting mother that is asking this question had become pregnant with her daughter the first day of the year. So we'll use the whole calendar year and kind of walk through kind of the steps. We can see here this this graph shows us from four weeks to 40 weeks. We'll start with January 1, the very day of conception. All of 46 chromosomes are present in this this baby right now. Uh, uh, So human life has already begun on the day of conception. Uh, this is unique. This is a unique human being with unique genetic makeup. Uh, January 22, about three weeks after conception, the child's heartbeat begins to beat, pumping her own blood, which which is often a different blood type than the mother's. <clears throat> February 4th, the fifth week, which is around <clears throat> the time that many mothers confirm that they are pregnant, the child has eyes, it has legs, and and hands have begun to develop. By Valentine's Day, uh, February 14th, which is merely six weeks after con- uh, conception, the, the child's brain waves have are, uh, you, can be detected. They've, they've already been active for some time, but now that they can be detected. Late February, right around week eight from conception, the baby starts kicking and swimming, and every organ in the child's body is now in place. The bones are taking shape, and the fingerprints are actually beginning to form. By mid-March, the baby can turn her head and even uh, frown and make faces. By late March, the baby can grasp objects in her hand. And by late April, the baby can start having dreams during REM sleep. We're less than halfway through a normal nine-month period of fetal development. The mother's baby bump is now showing, and the baby is not due until early October. This is what a 16-week fetus looks like. And if you ask me, that looks very much like a human being. That looks like a person. Um, And so we don't want to, as science can be debated, we we, we look at something like this and we go, yeah, that's definitely a person. 
The science data can be, <clears throat> has removed and can remove legitimate doubt about what's growing inside of a woman, but no doubt that that is not a blob, it's not a mass of tissue, it's not uh, uh, uterine contents, it's not birth matter, it's not products of conception, which are, which are <clears throat> deceptive euthanisms that, that, that people who are for abortion and pro-choice, they, they disguise these truths that now we can clearly see that this is actually a human child. This helps us answer the question that asks, should a woman have the right to make medical or decisions about her own body? And the simple answer is this, and it's a very simple answer. It's this, that we're not talking about a woman's body. We're talking about a separate and distinct body of a baby who is growing inside of her. And so, yes, you should be able to make decisions about your own body, but who's making the decisions about that baby? If we're, if we're going to draw a line in the sand and say, yes, this is a distinct body, who is making the decisions for that one? Because clearly, that is a human. Statistics show about 84% of mothers who decide to have an abortion or, or do not decide to have an abortion after seeing their baby in an ultrasound. Abby Johnson was a former director of, of Planned Parenthood, a, a, a clinic in southeast Texas, and she, she was seeing an ultrasound of, of an actual abortion taking place. She, she, once she saw that, she left her job, she left the clinic, and became an active supporter of pro-life movement. She said this, she said, I can see the whole profile of the baby 13 weeks from head to foot. I can see the whole side profile and I could see the probe. I could see the baby move away from the probe. And I just thought, what am I doing? And then I thought, never again. In light of the growing avalanche of data that, that proves what most of us already know deep down, that fetuses are tiny human beings. So we have to do everything to protect life rather than destroy it, especially those that are unborn. Now, again, science can be controversial. It's very much up for debate. But as Christians, it's important for us not just to point out the science but, and, and what science tells us about the nature of unborn human beings, but also what Scripture says. And we are not going to waver on Scripture. We believe that Scripture is the highest authority. If God has spoken, then it is true, and that we must base all truth off of Scripture. That's how much regard we, we hold uh, God's Word. Many of our friends and family respect the message of the Bible. In fact, there, there, there's many who don't claim to be Christians who would actually give serious consideration to become a Christian and, and consideration to the teachings if we would clarify that abortion is a moral issue just as compassion is and love and, and, and justice. And so if you're following along in your notes, I, I want you to, this is the first thing I want you to write down. That God has made all humans in his image. This is super important when we're talking about this subject. In Genesis 1, God says, let us make man in our, Im in our image and according to our likeness. This means that we are, as humans, like God in many ways, including the rational capacities, uh, moral awareness, the ability to choose how we will act through these things. We're not animals. We're not carnivores. We're, not, we're humans. It also infuses that we have value that is ex exponentially higher than any other creation. And this relates to abortion in two ways. The first one is this, that unborn children are just as much in the made in the image of God and deserving of life. 
And the second thing is this, that men and women who are faced with unwanted pregnancies are also created in the image of God. And this is important because of this. Because, un, because the unborn and, pre, and parents are made in the image of God, fathers and mothers have the responsibility to make a moral choice concerning the unborn child that affirms their own dignity. This is so huge. This is so huge that, that, that we have the moral obligation to choose what happens to that child that dignifies us as humans. We're not animals. We don't eat our young. We don't destroy our young. We're humans. And, we, and God has created us in his likeness to make decisions that support that. This at least partly explains why one of the Ten Commandments tells us not to murder. You shall not murder. That prohibition alone is calling us as humans not to take the life of innocent people. It shows us like these special protections that God wants to build around us as humans and the special value that he places upon us and children and uh, uh, born or unborn. That he doesn't want us to kill one another. The second thing that we can learn from the Bible is this, is that God knew us from the womb. In our opening scriptures today, King David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote these words, for you were created, <clears throat> for you created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days of my life, all the days ordained for me were written in your book. One of them came before they came to be. Nothing about this passage hints to the fact that David thinks less of himself in the womb. Actually, he really thinks more of himself. It's like quite the contrary. We see God's active involvement and care in forming and developing this body. And, and by extension, not only is this for David, but it's also for every human being that has, come, uh, that has ever been born. That God's hand is involved in, in, in knitting human beings together in the womb. It's so special. Especially if we take Scripture literally, and we do here. It's so special. It seems inconceivable that someone could read this passage, absorb all of its meaning, and then pretend like it's okay to end a life of one of these little ones that God is actually forming and knitting together with his own hands. Maybe that's partly why Proverbs 31 calls us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. You know, Jesus calls us to care for the least of these. And when I think of that scripture in Matthew, where he powerfully reinforces the value of acting on behalf of the needy, listen to what it says. He says, for I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you didn't take me in. I was naked and you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't take care of me. Then they too will answer the Lord, Lord, when do we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or without clothes or sick or in prison and not help you? Then he will answer, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do, whatever you did not do for the least of these, 
you did not do for me. You know, in Scripture, Jesus was like personally identifying with people who suffer here, who are mistreated and, and, and who are in need of help and protection. And he, he ends with this stern warning of, of, of judgment that will come for those who don't pay attention to this. And so we have to take this seriously too. Who is more needy than an unborn child? The next thing that we can learn from Scripture is this, is that the Bible authors believed in, in life at conception. It's worth pointing out that, that, that consistently throughout the Bible, when the, when the writers mention their own beginnings, it, it comes with phrases that clearly indicated that their lives began at conception. Look at what Paul says in Galatians 1.15. He says, but when he who had set me apart before I was born... And who called me by his grace. You see what Paul says there? He goes, he, God, God knew me. I was something in God's mind and, and God's thoughts before I was even born. And then the famous account of Mary when, when she was pregnant with Jesus, when she visited her cousin Elizabeth, pregnant with John the Baptist. Listen to what they, this, this scripture says. It says, at the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women, and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that my, the mother of my Lord should visit me? When, when I heard her greeting, my baby, the baby in my womb, leaped for jumped for joy, it says. Just think about it for a minute. Like the unborn John the Baptist somehow sensed and responded joyfully to the unborn Jesus, the Savior of the world. In light of the constant biblical message uh, that, that, uh, that all human life, born and unborn, is of incredible worth and deserving of our rescue. And it certainly seems clear that, that we have a divine mandate to preserve and to protect all life, born and unborn. And so what about rape? This is a, this is a question that we always go to. We kind of always go to the extreme, and, and it's an important question to ask. It also brings up other questions like, what about victims of incest or, or victims of pedophilia or victims of sex traffickers, which, which happens all the time? These situations are super real. They happen every day. They're tragic. They're evil, and it leads to unwanted pregnancies. And it leads to countless abortions. And if this has happened to you, I, I, I totally want to be sensitive to your pain, and, and I have no idea what you've gone through. I have no idea. But I, know, I believe that there is hope and healing. Here, here's, here's what I, I, I also believe. I don't believe that adding more grief by taking a life after a rape is the path to healing. How do we, how does the cycle break? How do we end the cycle of, of evil and hatred that, that is birthed from rape? For Jennifer Christie, uh, she ended her cycle with a boy named Joshua. Jennifer was raped as, um, as a young woman in her hotel room while she was in college. You could read Jennifer's story on uh, the website unbrokenireland.com, and here's what she said. It's powerful. 
says, this child had nothing to do with the attack on my body or the scars on my soul. He had everything to do with my healing, giving me a reason to hope. I did not save my son. He saved me. After doing some research, I, I, I read that there's 32,000 children born of rape every year. And, and their lives are a testament of, of God being a master craftsman when it comes to redeeming what is lost, what is broken, and what the enemy has destroyed. It reminds me of what, what Joseph said after he was sold into slavery, and decades later when his brothers come back, he pins these words. He says, you've planned evil against me, but God planned it for good to bring about the present result, the survival of many people. It's interesting if we, if we think in, and take the words of Joseph and, and look at our lives and, and, and that, that, that present evil that you're going through or that you've experienced, how God can turn that into good. That's the story of the gospel. It's the story of the cross. How can, how can God, Jesus, and the cross, the despicable, the, the horrible, the terrifying, the, the crucifix, turn in anything to, into good? But that's the story of the gospel. Jennifer Christie has made it her mission to strive to end the stigma and shame that women and children after rape are, meant to, are, are, are expected to feel, are made to feel. The only person that should feel shame in that story is the rapist. The only person that should be punished in that story is the rapist. Not this beautiful woman and that child. It's a lie from the enemy. And I love it that somebody stands up and makes it their mission to remove the stigma and the shame. And the same is true for you. You do not have to live in that. If you are a victim of sexual abuse, you don't have to be, uh, you don't have to be ashamed anymore. And you don't have to feel punished anymore. It wasn't your fault. The next thing I want you to write down in your notes is this, before I start crying. <laughs> God's truth must always be delivered with God's grace. The Bible says that let your conversation be gracious and attractive so that you might have the right response for everyone. It's not enough to just tell you the truth. Truth has to be uh, uh, combined with God's grace. Truth without love is brutality. You've heard me say that before. And there has to be some love here. There has to be, because these hard answers, that we, these hard questions that we answer, we, we have to, to present the truth, but communicate it in love and always point people back to God's grace. Because here's the reality. While rape and incest and pedophilia and sex trafficking are real and evil and it leads to unplanned pregnancies, the, the fact of the matter is it's only a small fraction of the reasons why people get abortions. The numbers are staggering. 92% of abortions in 2019 that resulted in an unintended pregnancy came from couples having consensual sex. Thankfully, given the, given the gravity of this issue of abortion and all the pain and the guilt that it brings, we have a God who stands ready to forgive us and to heal us. 
These truths are, are, are just can, can beat you down if it wasn't for God's grace and if it wasn't for a God who stands ready to heal you and to forgive you. And forgiveness won't bring back your baby, but, but it can bring life and hope to anybody who has been part of the abortion process. This is especially good news for me. I hope it's good news for my ex-wife. In the mid-90s, well, she became pregnant, and, and we decided to, out of fear and confusion and not knowing what to do, to abort that child. And so this is super personal for me, as it is for many of you guys. When I started going to church and became immersed into Bible teachings, Christians had much to say about abortion. And it, all, it wasn't all graceful. It seemed like it landed heavily on a political side. And, and it, it began to, to create confusion in me on where, where God really, how God really sees me. I mean, I heard, I heard thousands of messages upon grace and repentance and forgiveness. But Christians were so strongly talking about this issue that I felt like God would never forgive somebody for that. And so as many of the messages I've heard, I, I still struggled with believing uh, uh, about forgiveness completely in my heart. Like, yeah, I know God can, can forgive me of my, my lust and greed and pride and all those things, but, but could he actually forgive me for aborting this child? And the handful of other things that I did that I'm completely ashamed of saying? How can God forgive me? And it wasn't until my eyes were open to the magnitude of the cross, the magnitude of the cross that, that demonstrated God's unconditional love for, for us. You know that God took every sin into account that we would ever do, past, present, and future, and he still sent Jesus for us. It's liberating. It's absolutely mind-blowing and heart-wrenching, just liberating to know the extent of God's love for us, it is unconditional. The Bible says that God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. How much more than since we have been now justified by his blood that we will be saved through him from wrath? For if while we were sinners, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? You see, the more we look to the cross of Jesus, the more we realize how loved we are. And if you didn't hear Tim's message last week, get it and go listen to it again. It goes deep into this, into the love of God. Because here's the reality of God's love. Here's the magnitude of the God's love. It doesn't matter how, how much you have sinned or the magnitude of your sin or the degree of your sin. The cross of Jesus is God's way of saying, I love you and you are completely forgiven. That wasn't right, but I am not determining my love for you by what you do. My love is determined for you by what Christ has done on your behalf. And he lived a perfect life because you couldn't. And his life was an exchange for yours, a life that led to his death, a death that we all deserved for the choices that we have made. 
But Jesus would not, and God would not allow our choices to get in the way of our relationship with him. He does not allow our choices to get in the way of our salvation and our eternity with God. The last thing I want you to write down in your notes is this. If you have faith in Jesus, you are unconditionally loved and forgiven by God for every sin, past, present, and future. That is the gospel. You can take that to the bank. And you do not have to to feel the guilt and shame no more because God has taken your guilt and your shame upon himself. And no more, no more blood needs to be shed for the forgiveness of your sins or mine. And that is a beautiful truth. That is a truth that we need to embrace. It is definitely a truth that we must uh, hold on to when we're talking about subjects like abortion. As Christians deal with these challenging questions, we need to tell the truth about abortion, but, but we cannot forget about the good news about Jesus in the midst of that conversation because it was, he died for all of our sins, including this one. Jesus wants us to turn away from whatever we have done and come to him where, where grace and forgiveness and a new life and a new relationship with him can be found. And I pray as touchy as this subject is, I know many of you have been touched by this subject. God's grace is more. God's grace is ready. His power to redeem you is here. And he wants to forgive you because he loves you. He wants to set you free, but he also wants you to value the life as he is the author and the finisher of all life. There's more good news. As I was reading uh, scripture this week, uh, David and Bathsheba, you know their story. David had an affair with Bathsheba, and um, she became pregnant. And part of God's judgment was to end the life of that child. And David said something very curious. He said, speaking of the baby, he said, I cannot, he cannot come to me, but I will go to him one day. And it gives me immense comfort to know that if you've ever lost a child, maybe through a miscarriage or if you've made a decision to abort a child, that you can, I'm confident through scripture that every child that has been aborted immediately is ushered into the presence of God. And that does my heart good for every child that has not got to be born. And that's good news because God's grace is so much more than we'd ever even imagine. And Jesus going to the cross assured their life in eternity where there'll be no more sorrow, no more pain, no more death anymore. And that's good news. Thank you for letting me share. Let's pray. God, thank you for uh, just the grace you've given us to even tackle such a heavy subject. Most importantly, Lord, I just pray for the people that have been touched by this subject that you, God, will will bring them close to you and that you would give them comfort and peace and rest that their soul so desperately needs. I pray, God, that as we see life, that we would celebrate it, that we would cherish it as you did. Jesus, you lived and died and rose again so that we may live today. You are the author and finisher of life. 
May your words not only inform us today, but may it transform us the way we see the world, the way we see people, and the way we see life, the way we see the unborn child. I ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.